Welcome to Labor Law Radio. I'm Michael Tracy, your host and attorney at law. This is the show where for the next hour, we're going to talk about all things labor and employment law related. I'm going to pick up with uh, this week on the topics of sexual harassment, wrongful termination, or you know how uh, sexual harassment can drive a wrongful termination case. Uh, last week, uh, we had covered a, a couple exemptions uh, that I, I need to follow up with this week because I ran out of time last week. I didn't really have time to cover the loan officer exemptions and the truck driver exemptions, and I want to get into that. But uh, before we get uh, started in labor and employment issues, generally just a general uh, issue of legal interest out here was I came across doing some research, rather humorous case. So for those of you who are familiar with uh, Judge Bork, he was a Reagan nominee to the uh, Supreme Court back in the 80s. He was rejected by the Senate in a rather messy uh, confirmation hearing process, which you know, it was actually a fairly embarrassing thing for him, an embarrassing thing for the Senate. I probably should have been confirmed a very competent uh, judge and probably would have been a very good justice. Uh, I had met him in uh, Washington, D.C. I regularly go to a Federalist Society conventions there and have a autographed copy of uh, his book, um, Coercing Virtue, which is sort of about uh, judges uh, legislating from the bench. So in general, a very good uh, legal scholar, a, a conservative thinker. Uh, but interestingly enough, maybe not so conservative these days. And in basically what happened is he just filed a lawsuit uh, want, demanding millions of dollars in, in damages for a slip and fall incident. And what makes it funny is that for a long time, Judge Bork had been crusading for this tort reform that lawsuits are evil, they're destroying uh, America, that uh, all businesses are going to be driven out of uh, the country because of these escalating costs for uh, uh, for various types of litigation, whether it's tort reform. I hear it a lot in, in employment law. And maybe I'll get into a little bit of that later. But in any case, so a longtime crusader against uh, excessive torts and advocating tort reforms and limits on punitive damages and limits on emotional uh, uh, distress and things like that. In any case, now Mr. Bork is quite aged. I'm not uh, sure how old, but uh, definitely up there in years. And he was giving a speech at the Yale Club of New York City, a very prominent uh, public speaking engagement. And as he was approaching the dais to uh, to stand up and take the microphone, apparently the step up uh, was too large. He slipped and fell backwards and hit his head, uh, severely injuring himself. So for that, uh, the champion of tort reform and limiting crazy plaintiff's attorneys such as myself is now demanding actual damages resulting from defendant's wrongdoing in excess of $1 million, punitive damages in amount to be proven at trial, and uh, cost, interest, and attorney's fees. So given that his actual damages are a million dollars and generally punitive damages, you know, exceed, you know, three, four, five, maybe even 10 times uh, the amount of actual damages. And he's actually you know, he's asking for millions of dollars uh, for this case. And the interesting thing, the funny thing is, is that his argument in the case is essentially the step up to the dais to, to make his speech was so high and so ridiculous that no reasonable person would have built the podium in, in such a way. And it sort of begs the question, well, if it's so high and so big and no reasonable person would have built it, why would somebody who's rather old and well aware of what their physical limitations are upon seeing this podium why on earth would they attempt to step up on it when any reasonable person would know that that would be futile and you would probably injure yourself? So an interesting uh, lawsuit. I think it sort of highlights some hypocrisy in the in the legal field. And we've seen this 
unfortunately, very recently, I mean, it's all over the news, this $54 million dry cleaning lawsuit. One thing I hear from the bench all the time when judges lecture to attorneys, and judges love to lecture to attorneys, is how busy they are, how overworked the legal system is. But apparently that only applies to them while they're actually working because when Judge Bork uh, retired, he is perfectly willing to bring multi-million dollar uh, plaintiffs you know, lawsuits for punitive damages and emotional distress and, and uh, whatever other injuries he's going to allege. And the judge in the $54 million dry cleaning lawsuit, the same thing. Apparently, after he retired, he felt that the uh, the new judges aren't worked enough and they need to be burdened with $54 million lawsuits because a dry cleaner lost a pair of pants that you uh, that you wore. So unfortunately, a trend in the legal uh, area today seems to be retired judges filing what appear to be frivolous lawsuits. So in any case, a rather humorous thing, not really uh, labor and employment related, other than that I frequently get the argument from defense attorneys or sometimes when you know employers aren't represented and I have to deal with them directly, they always try to lay this guilt trip on me in terms of plaintiff's attorneys and these frivolous lawsuits about labor and employment issues are driving employment out of California. No employer can possibly stand to uh, to stay in business with all these overtime rules and meal penalty rules and you can't sexually harass your workers and you know you can't discriminate against them based on race and you might even need to have some instructions to your managers so that they can be educated that in a civilized society, what we've chosen to do is say that uh, we can't discriminate based on uh, sex and race and religion and disability and stuff like that. So with all these laws, we're driving people out of uh, especially California because there is this perceived belief that California labor's laws are so much uh, more onerous on the employer than the, than the other states. But first of all, that's simply not the case. Frequently, when I bring causes of action, I sue under federal law because federal law gives me a tremendous number of advantages that uh, that California law doesn't have to offer. So it's and then that would apply to any of the 50 states in the union. So the idea that California has all these quirky little laws that are driving employers out. Simply, it's not founded. In fact, uh, every state in the union has substantially similar laws for overtime. California has some special stuff for computer programmers and things like that. But interestingly enough, where California is most protective, I mean, so California does have special requirements for computer programmers that are much more beneficial to the employee than the other 50 states in the union, the other 49 states in the union have. Interestingly enough, we don't see high-tech employers flooding out of California because of this. In fact, uh, Silicon Valley is is in California. Hopefully, some of uh, my listeners are in Silicon Valley if we get down that far. So, the, the funny thing is, is that with all this criticism of driving employee employers out of the state of California, it's actually just the opposite that's happened. California is, you know, the largest of all the economies for the uh, for the United States. In fact, it competes with other nations in terms of its total uh, gross output, the total jobs that it creates, the total economic engine that it is, is comparable with uh, the vast majority of industrialized states in the world today, industrialized nations in the world today. And the reason for that is, to a large extent, because of these protective laws, and that is that they force businesses to be more efficient, and they also allow people to 
receive the benefit of their labor so that they can go out and make choices, you know, with their economic decisions that drive the economy. For instance, I mean, if you have, let's say, minimum wage employees, and that's, you know, you're going to, you know, let's say you get rid of the minimum wage, get rid of all these onerous uh, regulations, and essentially allow people to work for a dollar an hour, even if the employers could get people to work for that wage, it would essentially defeat the whole economic cycle. And that is that employers would be paying people a dollar an hour, but the only thing that these employees could buy with that dollar an hour is very limited goods. You wouldn't have the employees able to purchase the goods and services that these employers are in the business of manufacturing or or supplying. So, I mean, it's essentially this economic cycle, and unless you have something that allows employees to be fairly compensated for their work and then make economic decisions that are going to drive the economy. They're going to buy the big screen TV. They're going to buy the new car. They're going to buy whatever it is that uh, that they want and they can afford. And that's going to allow somebody else to create a job and somebody else to uh, to run a business and somebody else to make a profit because they are also employing people who are you know buying the goods and services that you have. So. You know, it's an interesting argument. I get it all the time. We're driving businesses out of California. That's simply not the case. By enforcing the labor laws of California, we make sure that everybody competes fairly and honestly, and the people who uh, perform their work uh, receive what they are supposed to be paid for it so that, that they can go out and buy the goods and services that you produce. If you produce uh, big screen TVs, uh, you obviously want people who are making enough money to buy your big screen TVs. And just like when you work and you get paid, let's say I work as a uh, as a gourmet chef, then I would obviously want people making enough money to demand the services of a gourmet chef. I mean, otherwise, it's just a bunch of people making minimum wage and nobody's able to afford the uh, you know, the goods and services that other people are providing, and that destroys an economy. So, I mean, that's a big reason why California is so strong is that because it, is it does have these protections and it adequately, uh, you know, protects the, uh, protects the workers, and ultimately, you know, that's the economic engine of the state. So, in any case, that's a, a little bit of labor philosophy, and uh, what we're going to get into now is covering some of the stuff from, from last week. We talked about the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement and bringing your cases there and how the Labor Board, the DLSE, cannot provide you legal advice and they can't tell you even what your rights might be. So not only can they not protect certain rights, for instance, they can't award you liquidated damages, which are double damages under federal law. That's an instance where federal law is more protective. Uh, So if you sue in court or in If you're in another state, you would get these liquidated damages. If you take it to just under California law, you can't get double damages on your overtime claim. Also, California, the Division of Labor Standards cannot have personal liability against a corporate uh, agent. So federal law, all the other states, you can go sue the uh, individual owner of the company directly for not paying your wages. If you go to the labor board, you can't. You're limited to suing the corporation unless you can somehow get this piercing the corporate veil, which is much harder to do, a lot more work on the plaintiff. Just sue in federal court under or state court under a federal cause of action, and you can very easily get the uh, individual employer, even if they're hiding behind a corporation. Also, the, uh, the labor board can't uh, go back four years. Uh, they only go back three years. Unfortunately, they don't tell a lot of people that. And, you know, at the labor board, obviously, you can't get your attorney's fees awarded. Generally, people don't have an attorney when they go to the labor board. But there's other causes of action, especially this private attorney general cause of action that you can't bring at the labor board, but you can bring in state court. And it gives you a tremendous amount of leverage in dealing with the employer because the private attorney general essentially allows you to do a quasi-class action, essentially sue on behalf of other employees who are also having their rights violated 
and collect uh, civil penalties for that. So, you know, those are some of the limitations of the uh, the labor board. But where I sort of got hung up last time and didn't get into was talking about the truck driver exemption and the loan officer exemption. If you're either one of those, I'm going to talk about loan officers first, and then I'll, I'll go into truck drivers. If you're either one of those and you've taken your case to the labor board, they may have simply dismissed it out of hand and said you don't have a case. And for the loan officers, the reason is, is that California law says that if you make more than half, if you work as a loan officer in a sales uh, role of any regard, and you make more than half of your compensation in the form of commissions, and your total compensation exceeds one and a half times the state minimum wage, then you're exempt from overtime. And that's not a tremendous uh, amount of money, and most loan officers make more than that. So they're automatically exempt from overtime, and they don't get it. Well... Everybody else in the country is entitled to more protections for loan officers and certain type of salespeople. And the federal law is that this salesperson exemption only applies to people in retail establishments. So, I mean, if you're working in a, uh, a cell phone store and you're selling these cell phones, I had a case like this, uh, then you're exempt from overtime under state and federal law, provided you make over one and a half times minimum wage. Now, that person didn't make over the one and a half times minimum wage. That's why I had a case. But... That's a retail establishment. If you work in a department store and you sell goods and you're paid on commission, then there's a very good chance that you're exempt from overtime unless you're really not making much money. Now, you're still entitled to minimum wage. In fact, you have to make one and a half times minimum wage in order to be exempt from overtime. So if you're not receiving, you know, if you're, if you're just on pure commission and in some weeks you don't make any sales, so you don't make minimum wage, well, then you do have a minimum wage claim. And if you only make slightly more than minimum wage, then you're probably entitled to overtime if you're working more than 40 hours in a week. But for a lot of loan officers, they make a lot of money, and they're generally exempt from overtime under California law. So if you take that case to the labor board, they're going to tell you, we're sorry, you're exempt. There's nothing we can do for you. You're out of luck. But what they don't tell you and what they're not allowed to tell you because they can't give you legal advice is that you can take your case across the street, file it in court, and get overtime compensation under federal law. Because... I mean, I'm comparing and contrasting California and federal law, but California law is really made up of two types of law. There's California law, which applies only in California, and there's federal law that applies all across the country. And in the employment law context, the employer has to meet whichever one of those provides the employee with the most benefit. Unlike other areas of law where federal law preempts state law, that is, it overwrites it, Congress has specifically mandated that states can legislate more protective employment laws and wage and hour laws than the federal government can. So in this case, the federal government had said, we want to provide a base bare minimum of protection for all employees in the United States, but the states can legislate on their own to provide additional protections to the employees. And California has done that in some areas, but in some areas, they don't provide the same protections as the federal law does. And in those cases, then you sue under federal law, but you can do that in state court. You just can't do it at the labor board. So loan officers are a big one, other ones, stockbrokers. I mean, pretty much any type of commission salesperson in a non-retail, non-traditional sales role, that is going to be when you're going to want to use federal law. The other big one that I talked about a little bit last time is the truck driver exemption. Okay, but before we get into truck drivers, just a reminder, you can email me your questions at uh, www.laborlawradio.com. Click on the link to submit a question. There's an email link there, and you can submit it. 
I may have some time to get to questions uh, later in the broadcast. Uh, the last two shows I ran very late and haven't been able to cover all the questions. This time, I think I've budgeted my time appropriately and should be able to get them. If you want to call in 888-678-7229, I won't have time to get to any callers today, but we are recording uh, calls for future broadcasts, and we'll hopefully have some of those uh, come online. But it's, it's difficult to get because either people talk about too much stuff or they disclose too much information. Uh, so we're having a little bit of a uh, little bit of issues with uh, with people calling in. But if you have a gen- generic question, you know, my son works at uh, Walmart and they do such and such and such. And I'm wondering whether that's legal. That's very good. We'll be happy to take those. But if it's a personal thing, my boss just told me that if I don't uh, perform such and such a sexual act for him, then I'm going to get demoted and stuff like that. Don't don't call into a radio show with that. Go uh, call an attorney uh, directly and, and discuss your case there. We can't uh, we can't take calls like that on the air. Okay, so uh, with that said, uh, the other exemption that I want to talk about is this truck driver exemption. I talked about it a little bit last week, just uh, but I ran out of time. The main question I get asked is why? Why are truck drivers so different from every single other type of uh, occupation in California or in America, for that matter? And the reason is, is that there's essentially competing jurisdictions for who regulates truck drivers. There's the Department of Transportation, which regulates the maximum hours that a truck driver can actually drive under certain circumstances. And then there's the Department of Labor, which regulates how much money they have to get paid if they can work overtime. Because as we've discussed, except for certain types of occupations, the general rule in America, and especially in California, is that the employer can require you to work overtime. They can tell you, you need to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's perfectly legal as long as they are paying you the proper wage for it. Obviously, that's going to be extremely expensive because of California's double-time laws and things like that. But if the employer does indeed require that you work that, they can force you. I mean, they can basically, I mean, they can't. I mean, they can't point a gun at your head or something like that. They can require that you work an extra 10, 12, 14, however many hours a day. And if you refuse that, they can terminate you. They can write you up. They can lower your pay for work going forward. They can't lower your pay for work that, that's already been done. But they can take any disciplinary measures they wish against you, up to and including termination, because you refuse to work overtime. Even if you have a perfectly valid, uh, what seems to you a fair reason, you can say, well, I already booked my vacation for this weekend. That's not an excuse. The employer is, is allowed to regulate its business as they see fit. So there is a difference with truck drivers. Now, truck drivers have certain maximum hours that they can drive. And after that point, they must stop and they must sleep and they can't work. So for whatever reason, the Department of Labor has, has said that is sufficient protection for truck drivers. They already can't work. So we don't need to worry about regulating how much they get paid because they shouldn't even be working during this time anyway. Well, you know, for all the truck drivers who call in and, you know, I've been asking these questions, they know that not all those laws are assiduously followed by the employers and they have certain deadlines they have to meet. And sometimes things are a little bit pressed and not all those maximum hour provisions get followed. And what they want to know is, can we be compensated for that? Most other occupations, yes. For truck drivers, no, uh, in most cases. So because of these competing 
jurisdictions and who regulates what. The Department of Labor has said, we don't want to get into paying truck drivers. They're not supposed to be working anyway. So we don't want to encourage them to break the law so that they can get paid overtime. They shouldn't be paid for this time because essentially they're somehow you know involved with uh, with breaking this law or it would encourage them to essentially exceed maximum hours under a hope that they would get uh, an overtime premium for it so in any case that's kind of the the reasoning for it and that's why we have these exemptions from overtime now again there's two laws there's california law and there's federal law now again in this case federal law is much more protective of employees than california law so generally for truck drivers we sue under federal law rather than state law. But there are some times that we sue under state law. And I want to get into those first because the big difference between state law and federal law is state law is overtime after eight hours a day or 40 hours in a week. Federal law is only after 40 hours in a week. So for instance, if you drive three days of 12 hours, that's not going to get you any overtime under federal law. So unless you're entitled to it under California law, then you're out of luck in terms of overtime. So a lot of these get into some technical things. I'm going to cover them briefly. Again, it doesn't really lend itself too well to a radio presentation. I do have all this information on my website, uh, laborlawradio.com. Click on the audio archive. And down at the bottom, there's some show notes. You can click over to the truck driver exemption for the show, and it, and it covers that. But basically, in California law, they exempt trucks based on how much they weigh and to some extent what they're carrying. The main thing is, I mean, the first blanket rule in California, if your truck has a gross weight rating of 26,000 pounds or over, you're automatically exempt from California overtime. That's uh, that's it. Very, uh, very simple analysis. But if your truck weighs less than 26,000 pounds, but more than 10,000 pounds, a gross weight rating, then there's a little bit of analysis in terms of whether you're involved in interstate commerce. And I'll get into that when we talk about the federal exemption, because that uh, gets a little bit complicated in terms of what you're carrying and when you're carrying it. If it's less than 10,000 pounds, then chances are you're entitled to California overtime. There are a couple exemptions to that. They're for you know, longer trucks that carry that, that, that pull a long trailer. I think it's at 40 feet in length. If it's uh, involved in a uh, uh, moving industry, you can be exempt if your your truck is less than uh, than ten thousand pounds, or if you're carrying hazardous hazardous materials or hazardous waste, then uh, anything is going to be uh, exempt, even if it is much, uh, even if you know if it's just a light truck. I had uh, defended a company uh, that uh, that had light trucks that was uh, being investigated for overtime, and uh, they were exempt under California law because of the. Uh, hazardous waste that they were hauling. So that's the basics of California law. And you can see it's pretty employer friendly. I mean, 26,000 pounds are over. Boom, you're automatically exempt. No overtime. You know, this 10 to 26,000, there's a good chance that uh, that you might be exempt. And then you get these other little uh, uh, little exemptions that are that are out there for everything else. The federal law is a little bit more protective of employees because it doesn't get into how much the truck weighs. How much the truck weighs is irrelevant for federal law. The only thing that's important for federal law is whether you're involved in interstate commerce. Now, that definition means a lot of different things in the law. So, and I won't get into, you know, the other areas that it that it comes up in, but for truck driver regulations, interstate commerce means something different than just about every other area of the law when you hear the word interstate commerce. In the truck driving, 
it means anything that, and there's basically two ways to analyze it. If you drive across state lines, you're involved in interstate commerce, and that means you're going to be exempt from overtime, uh, federal overtime, and basically you're out of luck. So if you're a long haul, uh, big rig truck driver, and you drive across state lines, you don't get any overtime. It doesn't matter if they pay you salary, it doesn't matter if they pay you hourly, it doesn't matter if they pay you by the piece, pay you commissions, however they pay you. If your truck uh, drives in interstate commerce, you're automatically exempt from federal overtime. If it weighs more than 26,000 pounds, you're automatically uh, exempt from California overtime. That means you don't get any overtime. But if it's a larger truck, over 26,000 pounds, and you only drive in California, you never drive across state lines, well, what then? Well, the answer is it depends what you're carrying and where it's coming from and to. Actually, it doesn't matter what you carry. The only thing that matters is where it's coming from and where it's going to. If the stuff that you are carrying is part of a continuous interstate shipment, which there's no real halting point to, then that is going to be considered as interstate commerce, even though you're not the truck driver that physically drove it across state lines. Easy example of that, truck driver A picks up a package in Phoenix, drives it into uh, Los Angeles, and transfers it onto your truck, and then you immediately drive it to the end destination point inside the city of Los Angeles, or let's say you take it out to Santa Barbara, that would be one continuous interstate shipment, even though uh, it was done on two different trucks by two different drivers. And the one driver never left Los Angeles. It started in Phoenix and it essentially had a nonstop trip all the way to Santa Barbara. Okay. So in that case, you're involved with interstate commerce. You're exempt from federal overtime. You're exempt from California overtime because your truck uh, weighs more than 26,000 pounds. You don't get any overtime. Now, the other thing is where it comes from Arizona and gets stored in a warehouse in California. And then later you pick up those goods and deliver them to Santa Barbara. In that case, the analysis gets a little tricky because it depends how long it waited in that warehouse. And the most important thing is whether the entire shipment was all planned out in advance. That is, if the customer in Santa Barbara ordered it, and we know that when it was shipped from Arizona, it was destined to Santa Barbara. It doesn't matter if it sits in the warehouse for a couple hours or maybe even a couple days. If it sits there too long, there might be some questions about you know what was going on, whether that is a continuous shipment. But if it does come to rest shortly and then get moved on to its final destination, as long as that whole thing was planned out in advance, then it's interstate commerce. Now, if they ship it to a warehouse in Los Angeles and they don't know when things are going to be ordered, maybe it's going to be sitting there for a day, maybe it's going to be sitting there for a week, they don't have an order for it yet, and then an order comes in and they ship it out, that is not interstate commerce for the portion going from the warehouse to the final destination of the goods. So for that truck driver, let's say you're, you have a big rig that's over 26,000 pounds, you're exempt from California law, which means you don't get overtime after eight in a day. But you're covered by federal law. Again, here's federal laws being more protective for the employees. And you do get overtime after 40 hours in a week. So for there are some local truck drivers and they always ask me, why do we only get overtime after 40 in a week? Why don't we get it after eight in a day? I thought that was California law. And the reason is California law isn't as protective as federal law. And you're exempt from California overtime, but you are covered by uh, by federal overtime. So, you know, that's kind of the, the basics of it. You know, the classic example of the exempt uh, employment for truck drivers, sort of like a FedEx truck driver. Maybe you're only delivering things locally, but all those packages are coming from all over America, all over the world, crossing state lines and definitely destined to a local 
uh, destination point. And even though you're just driving that last destination point, that is considered an interstate shipment and uh, therefore you're exempt from overtime. So that's all the time we have for now, which is fortunate because we just finished uh, discussing those topics. On the other side of the break, we are going to pick up uh, sexual harassment and talk about uh, a lot of the issues in that. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> 